Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. How are you? So that's... um that video is announcing something that's coming very soon. I don't know if you caught the date on that. So it's so not this coming Sunday, but, but uh, which will be here in all of our locations. The following Sunday, where all three uh, locations are gathering in the park, uh, that park, De La Viega Park, that was in the background, that video. You don't want to miss that. That's going to be really fun. Uh, church in the park. So, hey, welcome, you guys. Um, if you don't know me, I'm uh, Chris Matley. I'm the uh, senior associate pastor here in our um, so we have one church in three locations. So we're here, Hope Soquel. We're also in, in Scotts Valley, Hope Scotts Valley. And then in Aptos, uh, there we're called the Coastlands. And I'm kind of the senior associate pastor of this, this church over teaching and, and worship. And um, yeah, so if I haven't met you, um, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> right on. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you um, and introduce you to my wife and my children, uh, my wife, Amy. Uh, she'll be here in the second service. Um, we've been married for 19 years, going on 20, actually, coming up real soon. And, um, yeah, I was thinking about this this morning, how we have, like, we have a good marriage. I, I feel, and uh, not because of me, because of her and Jesus working together, um, but we have, we have a good marriage. There's one area, though, that is still a challenge for us, and that is that she sometimes has uh, very vivid dreams. Not all the time, but just sometimes, and they don't work out real well for me. Um, she, uh, for example, a couple months ago, uh, and this is not the first time this has happened. This is actually a pretty common occurrence. She, she woke up, it was probably two in the morning. She woke up and she said, Chris, and she put her hand on my chest. She says, Chris, Chris. And I, you know, I come up out of a dead sleep and I, what is it, babe, what is it? And she goes, look right there, right at the foot of our bed. And you know, I mean, I'm picturing something horrible and I look, I'm looking, she goes right there. Do you see it? And I go, babe, I don't see it. What is it? What is it? She goes right there. Just look, look. Just wait, look. And I'm looking, I'm waiting. I'm like, babe, what is it? What do you see? And I look, and she went back to sleep. <laughs> Not me, though. My heart's pounding, you know, adrenaline coursing through my veins. And, you know, I'm just, like, freaked out. There was nothing. It was just it was a dream. It was a dream. Here's another dream that she had. Uh, if you're uh, married, you might be able to relate to this. This might have happened to you. Um, she woke up of one morning. Um, I, I, I guess we weren't working that day because it felt like we were sleeping in a little bit late. We were laying in bed and I woke up and I could tell, you know how you can tell when someone's already awake and like they've been awake for a little while. You just have that sense like I woke up and I, I go, hey, hey, good morning, beautiful. You know, that's how I do it, you know. That's, good morning, beautiful. What's up? And she, she says, hmm. I said, hey, what's, are you okay? What's, what's going on? What's, what's wrong? She goes, I just, ah, just had this dream. I go, oh, tell me about the dream. She goes, well, we were at this thing, this gathering, some kind of party or something, and there's this woman there. By the way, not even a real woman, just made up in the dream. It was just made up a character, you know. She goes, there's this woman there. You and her were talking, like, in conversation, and you were really funny, and she was laughing at all your jokes, and it was, like, just going on and on, and, you, like, you weren't paying attention to me at all. And I was like, oh, babe, I'm sorry that you had that dream sorry that you dreamed that, you know. 
And she just went, mm. and she kind of rolled over, and I was like, wait a second, are you, are you upset with me? Are you upset? And she's kind of like stewing for a second. You could tell, I could tell she's trying to think of how to phrase the next sentence, and then she just goes, I just can't believe you would do that. <laughs> but I didn't, though, right? I mean, right? Yeah, so anyway, it's, uh, have you ever, like, found yourself in the middle of a fight and you don't even know how you got there? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, a couple times. A couple of you can relate to that, maybe some married people. I, so here's the question of the day that we're going to be contemplating as we read the scriptures, and it's this right here. Have you ever felt like you were fighting a war against an invisible enemy? Have you ever felt like you were fighting against an enemy that you couldn't see? Um, so we're, if, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series right now that we're kind of jumping in and out of throughout the year, and it's called The Last Days. And it's not about the end of the world. Instead, we take this phrase, last days, from, uh, f- among other places, from the book of Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, he's spoken to us through the Son, through Jesus. And um, the early Christians believed that the last days, the period of time known as the last days, began with the death and resurrection of Jesus and would continue on until Jesus returns to make things right. And so we're talking about, in this series, like how do we live right now? How do we live in light of that reality? In particular, this middle section, oh, by the way, we're using the book of Revelation to, to think about this question. And in this middle section of Revelation, chapters 6 through 16, there's a lot of repetition. So we're only, we're not going to read through each chapter because there's, it's the same story three times from different angles. Um, but we call this middle section, uh, we've been calling it with us while we wait, that God is with us while we wait. And I don't mean by that, that, that he's simply holding our hands as the Titanic sinks. That's not what we mean by with us while we wait. What, what we mean is with us. He's with us. He's active. He's living in us and he's doing something inside of us and through us in the world. Um, and this, I, this idea is summed up in the seemingly paradoxical observation of Jesus that he makes that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is coming, but it's also now here. Have you heard him say this in the Gospels? He says this kind of a lot. The kingdom of heaven is coming, but the kingdom of heaven is here now. So is it something that's on its way, or is it something that's happening right here and now? And the answer is yes. Yes to both those things, right? Last week we were in Revelation chapter 7. We talked about the vision that John had of the church, um, God's people, as this vast, kind of diverse, multicultural family that is gathered in celebration of what God has done. And what they're celebrating is the bringing back together, bringing into alignment heaven, God's space, and earth, human space, bringing those things back together. And at the end of the chapter there was this line, I thought it was worth repeating Uh, This is Revelation 7, 17. It says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. That's Jesus. Jesus will be our leader and our pastor. He'll be our shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, you notice it doesn't say that there won't be any tears. Just that where there are tears, he'll bring comfort. 
So today we're jumping ahead. We were in chapter 7. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 12, actually. So if, you're, if you brought a Bible with, us, with you and you want to take a look or you have it on your device and you want to pull it up, we'll also have it on screen. But we're in Revelation chapter 12. And I wanted to just stop for a second and before I read it, just tell you uh, what kind of story we're about to read. Because Revelation is full of all kinds of visions and images and um, exotic pictures. But in Revelation 12, something different happens. John stops and he tells a really interesting story. You know, imagine that you went to, um, imagine you went to a library, right? You went to a library and in this library, there are all kinds of books. Um, for the millennials here, a library is a building and uh, there's books, pause there. Um, for the Gen Zers, books are these things where information is printed on paper and bound together. Anyway, anyway um, so imagine you went to this library and on the shelves of this library, you look around and there's different kinds of books. It's not all the same type of book. There's fiction and there's nonfiction and there's different categories. There's history, there's autobiographies. When we visit the Bible, we're not visiting a book. We're, we're visiting a library with 66 different books written over the course of 1,500 years by more than 20 authors um, in multiple different genres. So when we pick a book off of the shelf of this library and we open it up, we should ask ourselves, what kind of book are we reading? Is this a historical narrative? Is this prophecy? Is this poetry? Is it wisdom literature? And when we pick up the book of Revelation, we're picking up something very exotic because we don't have this genre of literature anymore. When was the last time you went to Barnes and Nobles and picked up some apocalyptic literature, right? You don't because it's, it's not something we're, we're intimately familiar with. Um, so that's what kind of genre Revelation is. It's, a, it's a, um, apocalyptic literature, which means it's written in symbols and images. And it's kind of like an impressionistic painting. It's meant for us to experience it and to feel it and to hear it and to, to integrate it and, and react to it. It's not meant for us to just try to pick it apart and put it together like a puzzle full of clues. Revelation 12 in, in particular, is a, it's a metaphorical story and it's meant for us to help learn how to engage with a metaphysical world. If, do you believe in God? Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe there's, um, that God is non-physical? Meaning he's not, you're not gonna meet him at the grocery store. You know, he's not walking around on this earth. He's, he's over and above the physical universe. If you do, then you believe in a spiritual reality. And this story helps us engage with this spiritual reality. It's not unlike these three-dimensional sunglasses I literally got these out of the back of a comic book this morning. Like, I actually did that off of my own bookshelf, by the way. Um, that's a, can I put them on for you for a second? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah, that's right. All I need is a guitar now. So, um, the way these work is there's two different colors. And if I just look through the red lens, uh, it doesn't really do much of anything. Uh, imagine that that's our earthly eyes. We look around and we see the physical reality and we can interact with it and we can measure it and we can test it, we can explore it. Um, John's proposing that there's another lens, there's a way to look at a spiritual reality. And even more so that when the two are brought together like they are in this story, that we see the real shape of things, right? We see that there's a, there's a reality where the two come together 
and we learn something from it about ourselves and about the world and about God. So this story has three characters in it. I, I'm going to actually read the story in just a second, but it's not very long, so I've got to tell you about it first, okay? There's three, three kind of ca- characters in this story, all right? There's, there's a woman, there's a child, and there's a dragon. I've been waiting for this story like all year long. I'm so excited about telling a story with a dragon in it. There's, there are no wizards. I'm sorry for the Gandalf fans. There's no wizards in this story, but there is a dragon. Now, in this story, as, you're reading, as we're reading it together, you'll see that uh, John uses a familiar tale. It's one that you'll, you'll kind of see parts and pieces of, and you go, oh, this sounds familiar to me. Uh, that's because we're, we're meant to think that way. Um, it's the story of, of how Jesus was born into this world. The, the woman appears to be Mary. And, and the child appears to be Jesus. She gives birth to Jesus. And the dragon appears to be uh, the Satan, attempting to stop that from happening. You'll remember when Jesus was born, there was a, an attempt on his life by Herod. Um, to, he tried to um, stop Jesus from being born by uh, killing a bunch of uh, Hebrew babies. Right? And we're supposed to see that. We're supposed to see that physical reality. But then we're also supposed to see that... that that the woman is, is likely represents the people of God, the church of Israel, and, and that through them a promise was made of a Messiah, and that's who the child is. And that this, this dragon, this monster, is also the kingdoms and empires of this world that are coming against Jesus and the ways of Jesus. But I also want to propose that there's a third way to think about this dragon. And, you know, it's been said by smarter people than me, that we have three enemies in life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. As Christians, we have these three enemies. And this dragon is kind of a way for us to talk about the world and the devil. Um, But I want to propose another idea as well, that, that sometimes, sometimes the dragon is us. Sometimes we're the dragon. We have in us something we sometimes call a sin nature. That means a proclivity, an inclination to want to do wrong instead of right. Paul calls this, the Apostle Paul in his writings, he calls this our old self. There's an old version of me. In fact, I, have a, I brought a picture with me um, to show you. Have you ever seen this guy around town? Have you seen this guy? You might run into him. I hope not. I hope you don't. He's horrible. He's really awful. Like, I, I really don't like this guy. This isn't me, by the way. The only thing that this guy and I have in common is that apparently we own the same shirt. Uh, but, but other than that, he's, he's selfish and mean, and he wants to do all the wrong things, where I, I want to do right things. There's an old version of me, and sometimes he gets out. Sometimes the dragon is us. All right, let's get rid of that picture there. Uh, um, we're going to read the story now. This is, this is Revelation chapter 12, okay, verse 1. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. So we know these are symbols because he tells us, right? A great sign. This is a sign. It appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon 
with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. And John is so careful in the way he selects all of his words. He's using words here, the seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. He's using words plucked from the ancient um, prophetic words to describe kingdoms and empires and earthly power, right? He says its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That line right there is where the Christian tradition began years ago that, that the devil, the Satan, is a fallen angel and that he took a third of the angels with him when he left heaven. But the Bible actually never says any of those things. That's just a tradition. So you can believe that, but you actually don't have to either. In fact, in Revelation, oftentimes stars are more symbolic of people, of churches, of believers, of people that are following Jesus. So this dragon apparently has at least enough power to kill or destroy Christians, followers of God. It says, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he, she, he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, you notice there's quotation marks here, it says, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. There's quotes there because he's quoting from Psalms. This is, King David wrote many Psalms, some of which were prophetic inclinations about the coming Messiah, and this is one of them. He will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Does anyone know the significance of the number 1,260? Anyone? I'm asking. I have no idea. Does anyone know? No? Okay. All right. Might just be a random number. I don't know. All right. Uh, so the woman here, what, what's, what's the main feature of the woman here? She's, she's defenseless. She seems at this point defenseless in the story, right? It says she flees into the wilderness. That's her only defense is to run. Um, and that's often the case with persecuted peoples, that they're, they are defenseless before the world. There's, I think there's in, it has seeped into modern, especially American Christianity, this, um, this kind of John Wayne style culture. I like John Wayne movies. I'm actually a big fan. I, I, love, I enjoy his movies very much. But I don't follow John Wayne. I follow Jesus. And, uh, and this, this kind of John Wayne culture, this uh, I'm going to defend my rights, I'm going to defend my right to defend my rights, I'm going to you know, stand up, pull myself up by my bootstraps, use physical violence if I have to, to beat the bad guys, is not the way of Jesus. I'm just telling you. It's not. Part of the culture of following Jesus is to resist the temptation to grab and consolidate power for our own defenses. And that could be physical power or political or sociological power. It's, but we must resist that temptation. In fact, he calls us to something far more bold than that, which is to make ourselves and leave ourselves vulnerable in front of our enemies. If you think I'm making that up, you might want to read some of the Psalms. King David talked about this. He sets a table before me in the presence of... Yeah, that's a very vulnerable place to eat your food, isn't it? This meekness that, that Jesus uses to reveal himself, that's what he's doing. He's, he's revealing himself through us. 
I didn't say weakness, I said meekness, this meekness where we leave ourselves vulnerable to attack is how Jesus reveals himself to others. So in this way, when we lay down our perceived right to have human enemies, did you know it's, it's a right? It's a right that human beings claim to have human enemies. Following Jesus means laying down that right. And, and in so doing, we pick up and embrace a deeper truth that our enemies are not human beings, not ever. All right, let's continue. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent. What's another word for serpent? Snake, that's right. Ancient snake called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Now, if you've been paying attention to me this morning, you might have noticed that I don't say Satan, I say the Satan. Have you noticed that? That's because in Greek, these two words, devil or Satan, are not proper. They're not proper nouns. They're not names like my name is Chris and your name is Mike. They're not proper names. They're uh, descriptions. So in English translations, we capitalize Satan with a capital S like it's, a, like it's his name. You know, like he's a guy named Satan. Hey, I'm Satan. But that's actually not the case. If you look at the Greek, it's ho satanus which is a great name for a heavy metal band, but is actually Greek for, it's Greek for the deceiver, the deceiver, the Satan, the deceiver. Um, it's not a name, it's a description. And you notice it says ancient serpent, ancient snake. When did we first meet this snake? In the garden, that's right. That's right, in the garden. And what did, what did the snake do in the garden? Yeah, deceive, yeah. It, it posed a question that had a lie at its heart. That's all the deceiver ever does, is post questions with lies. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. Listen to this, this is how they beat him. Okay? This is how they beat him. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, so the sacrifice of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. Hmm. So they triumphed. They had victory, not by raising an army and gathering weapons, not by organizing their defenses. They triumphed through the sacrifice of Jesus and then talking about it. They went out and told people about it. Jesus died for me. And that's how they won. Listen to this part. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We're not followers of John Wayne. We're followers of Jesus. And part of following Jesus is a willingness to not shrink away from death, but to look it in the eye and tell it a story about what Jesus has done in our life. That's the word of our testimony. Paul, in his writings, he tells us to prepare for spiritual attack, to prepare for spiritual battle by putting on the armor of God, he calls it. And if you remember this story, in, the, in that list of armor, he lists a sword, he does. But the sword is the, the word of God. It's the word. It's our, and and this, this is not a weapon that attacks bodies, but lies. 
but deceptions, right? It, it destroys bad ideas in order to rescue people. That is good. Thanks, Savannah. That is good. All right. This is some of my best work here. I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're, you're following along here. All right. Let's, let's continue. Let's finish uh, Revelation chapter 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled you with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw, his time is short. Did you know that? Yeah, it's, it, his time is short. Our time, not so much. His time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. So there's this way in which we present ourselves as defenseless and vulnerable before our enemies so that God can work through us and rescue and save and transform lives. And as we do that, as we lean into that trust, then he rescues us. That takes a lot of trust though, I'm just telling you. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That's us. The dragon, the serpent, the deceiver has been waging war against us ever since. So here's my observation. I only have one today. Okay, just one. When we align ourselves with Jesus, we are aligning ourselves against the powers of darkness. So when we, when we look at the teachings and the values of Jesus and we line up our life to look like that, we are aligning ourselves against the powers of darkness. So we shouldn't be surprised, right, when, when we meet resistance, when we feel pushback. When, when we take a step forward, we bring the light with, with us, and the darkness pushes back, doesn't it? Has anyone felt the darkness push back? Yeah. Yeah. So who are these enemies? Who are these enemies? We've established that they're not people, right? So the first one is the world. The world comes against us. And I don't mean the earth. When the, when, when the Bible says the world, it doesn't mean the earth. We're not at war with the earth. I recycle, and you should recycle too. Let's look after this planet. It's the only one we've got. We don't have a backup, okay? We don't have a backup. I took a look. There's no good ones out there. It's just this one. But we're at war with the world. The world is the, the thing that we've made of this place. It's, it's the, the systems that people have built, the corrupt and broken ways we have of living that have consumed the surface of this planet. This is empires and kingdoms and, and ways of oppression and, and broken cultures. But here's where I want to draw a distinction because you hear a lot about this in our particular historical moment. You hear that there's a culture war, right? And there is. There's a war of cultures happening right here. But we as Jesus followers are not culture warriors. That's not our war. We are non-combatants in that war. There is a war. And there's two sides, or maybe more sides, and there's blood, and there's death, and there's carnage. But we are the medics weaving in and out of this culture warrior. We have a red cross on our back, and we're looking for those that we can drag from the battle. 
and help restore and heal and save. That's our, that's our role. And our weapon, we talked about this, is the truth. It's not meant to shatter people. It's actually meant to help people, to save people. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. A couple of you thinking, i got to run out and scrape the Culture Warrior bumper sticker off my car before church lets out. Because it's okay. You know what? We gather like this so we can grow and we can learn and be challenged, not so that we can just confirm all of the things that we already thought, right? We said we had three enemies, the world, the devil. You notice that, um, that when I talk about this, this creature, I, I don't use a proper name. Um, I don't think we're meant to. We're in a spiritual war with this deceiver. You'll notice at the beginning in Genesis, it's a snake. And at the end of the book, collection of books, at, at the end of Genesis or uh, Revelation, he's a dragon. Snake is a dragon. How did he get so big? We fed him. That's how he got big. We, we fed him. We've been feeding him. We've been feeding him. He's, he's a liar and a deceiver. And when we believe lies, it gives them power. And we feed him. And he gets bigger. We should have a sign over the door in the back of churches as you're leaving to go out that says, don't feed the snake. <laughs> Actually, that'd be super weird. Let's not do that. that no one would understand that. That would be really weird. <laughs> the church was real nice, but they have some weird signage. Lastly, so we have the world, we have, the devil, we, have, we have our flesh. And just like the world, we're not at war with our skin and our bones and our muscles. Our, our bodies are God's creation. He handcrafted these for us. These are a gift. But we're at war with something, an old version of us. You know, the Christian life is full of these what seem like contradictions. You know, the kingdom of heaven is coming, but it's also now here. We're in a battle, but we, we have to lay down our life in order to win it. We're at war, but it's actually won by Jesus already. These seem like contradictions until you look closer, right? And here's one. The old you is now passed away. And you are a new creation. But tomorrow is Monday, and when you get up, the old version of you is going to try to climb up out of its grave and take control and take, take, take hold of the driver's seat. I know that's true for me. Is that true for you? Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe this afternoon when you're lying at Whole Foods and someone steps in front of you. The old you wants to take the wheel, you know. So how, what do we do about this? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.